0: You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar. So excited today to bring you my conversation with Kristen Gallagher. Kristen is the founder of a consulting firm called Edify. She does some fantastic work in the education and training space. And I love Kristen's story because it's a story that I think a lot of you can really relate to. Kristen shares the story of how she built Edify, the initial challenges that she had, some of the major pivots that she made along the way when she found that certain things weren't working, and how she turned Edify into the successful consulting business that it is today I love hearing these stories from the trenches and being able to really distill the lessons that Kristen learned and share those lessons with you. I think no matter where you are in your journey, you're going to find a ton of value from Kristen's story and from the lessons that she learned and the things that she's done. So definitely lean in and enjoy this episode. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free crash course on lead generation for professional services firms... You're going to want to check that out. I will show you a five-step framework that you can use to generate a flood of new business for your professional service or consulting firm. You can get immediate access to the course over at 5leadgen.com, and you can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. With that, here is Kristen Gallagher. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about the work that you're doing at Edify?
1: Yeah, so Edify is my learning design strategy company. I mostly work on employee onboarding and learning and development strategy, which really means um, helping businesses connect their goals wherever they want to be in the world to the people that they already have in-house. And what's the gap between that? And that's usually a learning and development gap. So I help companies figure out how to get from A to B.
0: And what kind of companies do you work with?
1: Primarily technology startups. So we're working with companies that make DevOps software. We're working with companies that make video transcoding, all kinds of cool stuff. But every now and then we have a kind of an outlier. So I've done a little bit of retail, a little bit of mechanical engineering, different things.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a really fascinating niche. So you're doing employee development and onboarding for technology startups. How did you, how did you arrive at that kind of a
1: niche? That's kind of a weird story, but, um, so my background is actually in museology, which believe it or not is a thing, museum studies. Um, and I specialized in museum education. So, um, The question I was always trying to figure out, how do I get people to want to come into a museum, learn something when they're not required to be there or required to learn anything, and have a good time and come back? And so I was always working on these learning and development experiences that were completely um, autonomous. People chose to come to them. Um, and. It just so happens that um, working in museums doesn't help one pay off one's student debt. So I sort of went over to the nonprofit world, which didn't help much either, but it gave me some more kind of real life experience with learning and development. So I was writing educational programming for a small business development nonprofit and Later parlayed that into being a business development specialist at a web de- design company. So that was my enter my entryway into tech um, and trying to figure out how do I write proposals for $300,000 websites. I mean, these are really expensive projects and um, trying to write those proposals made me have to learn the technology that we were doing. So I had to get kind of my hands messy a little bit. Um, And turns out that that wasn't a really great workplace. It was pretty toxic. And I just kind of found myself hanging out more at other people's tech companies than my own. And so, um, I eventually started edify on my kind of free time and I was using all my PTO to go and teach workshops about learning and development. I was teaching other business owners how to use learning practices in their own business. So, um, you know, as an example, how would you market a financial services company by being a little bit more educational than salesy? Um, so I eventually quit that job um, in early 2015, and I had $1,000 in the bank and just said, I have to make this work. And I guess uh, as cliche as it is, the rest is history.
0: Well, I mean, that, that's an incredible story. So uh, where where's, does the L&D angle come from? Because I get that you have a tech background. I get the museum thing, but how did you decide to kind of focus in on learning and development?
1: Yeah. So in, I guess it was probably three months after I quit that job, I had been doing work for a couple of little clients here and there. Um, and I mean, little, little, like $400 here, 600 a 800 $1,000 here. Um, and I kept hearing from some friends in tech that were saying to me like, Oh my God, I just started this new job. The onboarding was horrible. It was so awful. I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel really frustrated. Um, do you know anything about that? And I actually didn't. Um, I, I would not have called myself um, the technical term for what I do as instructional designer. Um, and I didn't even know that that was what it was supposed to be called because in museums, that's, it's called something different. So Um, I started kind of reading up and talking to people and going to um, all the professional networking groups for this world, for learning and development, and realized – that's actually the exact same thing that I've always been doing. It's just in a different context. And so I sort of dropped all of my small clients. I finished up those projects and I sort of rapidly rebranded as the learning and development consultancy. And I just so happened to have a business development meeting with an HR director at a tech company. And she said, you know, our biggest problems are manager development and onboarding. Do you know about that? And I didn't really I I mean I had no runway no track record of of doing it and I just said um no I haven't done it you know by myself before I've worked at other companies and and done some of that work there but I think I could do it and she kind of trusted me and she gave me that contract and we blew it out of the water just did an amazing job onboarding people there um and that's kind of how I got started. I just said I love this so much. I'm going to keep doing it. And you know, I guess I've gotten lucky. People just keep believing that I know what I'm doing.
0: Well, I was going to say. I mean, like I, I thought you were. Gonna, I thought you're going to go with. Uh, of course, I know how to do it. I've done it a million times over. Then figured it out. That's usually how the story <laughs> goes. But you yeah. said no, and she trusted you. Was that like a personal relationship that you had?
1: No, I mean it's a funny. It's a little bit of a funny story. Um, that woman um, is the wife of my partner's cousin. Um, but I had never met her before. So, um, it, it, I knew of her like in the family, but we just never had met.
0: Okay. So, I mean, you weren't a stranger off the street. Like she knew that you, right. know, you weren't going to come in and rip them off. Yeah. And she disappear. knew where
1: she could find me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, I also think she told me later, um, that she had actually worked with another instructional designer before and hadn't gotten, what she really wanted out of that experience. And she said, the way that you're talking about the human experience of learning makes me like positive that you know how to do this and that you can figure it out. So that's why I'm going to trust you.
0: Yeah, no, I think there's a great lesson in that, in overcoming what may be a credibility barrier when you're getting into a new market or new niche, is that as long as you've done enough work or research to speak intelligently about it, people can overlook your lack of, credentials or case agree. studies.
1: Yeah. Oh. I never think it's about the resume. I've never been asked to provide references. I've never been asked. I mean, it's reference enough for me to name drop a company, but, you know, no one's ever said, oh, I need to go check that, you know, and make sure you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I recently interviewed uh, David Baker on the show. who's mm-hmm. the author of a book called The Business of Expertise. And one of the interesting things about David Baker is if you look on his website where he explains his service... Uh, There's an FAQ section where he says, um, if you know, if you're looking for references, I don't give them out. I may make exceptions, but as a policy, I don't give references because if you need to check on my references, something's not quite right here and we should probably just part ways.
1: Yeah. It means that somewhere you don't trust me.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So so then you you worked in house at that at that company for, I guess, a few months.
1: Yeah. So actually the inverse happened. So, um, she hired me as a contractor. So edify did about six months of work on learning and development and a little bit of knowledge management work for them. And that company actually ended up getting acquired by a much larger company, um, Amazon web services. And she, I, we sat down to lunch, we were finishing up a project and I thought I was going to try to sell her on the next project. And she said, I really want you to just come on board full time. What do you think about that? And I was totally shocked. Didn't really, um, ever see that coming and kind of thought it over for a couple of weeks and I decided to say yes. And so I put Edify on the back burner, um, and I joined them for a year and kind of helped them through that acquisition and, um, built an onboarding program that brought in almost 200 people in less than 12 months. And so I really cut my teeth from a learning and development director standpoint, um, in that role. And then, you know, at the end of 2016, I felt like I had, you know, done enough and they were at a place with their um, acquiring company that I thought I could just step back and it would be okay. And so January 1st, I kind of jumped right back into Edify.
0: How Instrumental was that one year stint as learning and director, uh, learning and development director. How, how instrumental has that been to the growth of Edify and to the story?
1: Oh my gosh, I think it has been priceless. I, I mean, there there were a lot of things that I realized about myself. Namely, I call myself an outside cat, um, as I'm sure lots of people on your show identify with, um, I struggle with authority. I really like to be able to just let, you know, let loose and do whatever I want to do. Um, and kind of go with my gut over most things. Um, and luckily she did give me a lot, she gave me a very long leash to be honest, but having the experience of, um, figuring out what a, you know, a VP of sales and a rapidly growing company really needs, but can't articulate Um, and then being able to deliver that and the same for engineering, the same for product management. I mean, I really got some amazing opportunities to work with everyone across the business and in so many different capacities. And so that's made me, or that's enabled me to walk into other people's businesses and say, wow, okay, I see what's going on here. Um, it's only going to take me, you know, two weeks to wrap my brain around it and then let's get to work. So it's, I think it's been instrumental at the minimum.
0: So you do a year at this company and things are going well. You onboard 200 employees. What made you leave?
1: Um, the, definitely the outside cat thing. I got to a place where it was like, OK, well, in order to, for me to grow personally, I'm going to have to get a team. And unfortunately, the acquiring company felt like that we were, you know, they felt, OK, you're good as a one man show, one woman show. Um, and I didn't agree with that. And I just kind of felt like, okay, it's time for me to run back to Edify and, and play with some new ideas. And so I had kind of been keeping this mental file of things I wanted to try and things I wanted to do differently um, with other companies. And so I just felt ready. Um, and it I think it paid off. Um, I was immediately busy. Um, funny enough, I my first client of 2017 came to me in November of 16. And I said, look, I'm, you know, contractually unable to sell anything to you until January of 2017, but I'm happy to start working on January 2nd. Um, and that's what happened. Um, so it, it was kind of a really good segue into Edify.
0: So you leave this company as, as the director and January 2nd, 2017, uh, you're now again, founder and principal of Edify. What is your conception at this stage of how Edify is going to evolve and progress?
1: So it's funny. It, it's funny, actually, to how quickly I changed the business. I've probably changed Edify's business model four times over the past couple of years. Um, mm. And probably three of those, nah, two of those times were last year. And in the beginning of 2017, I had this theory that um, – If you started with the basics of learning and development at the beginning of a company at, say, 100 employees or 50 employees rather than 300 or 600, that you would have a better time um, and you would get more value out of it. And that's an interesting catch-22 because companies at that size, at the 50-100 employee mark, don't have the money to spend on this. And the other kind of bigger problem is they haven't actually experienced the pain points that the 300, 400, 500 person companies have. So they won't buy it. But that's, I found that out later, I would say in the beginning of quarter two of 2017. So at the beginning of quarter one, I thought, I'm going to create a service offering that is just for these really small startups. And I'm going to kind of on ramp them into learning and development. And I sketched out this awesome product and service workflow. Um, I put pricing to it. I kind of made up a marketing campaign and I went out and I got a couple of initial clients for it. And those clients were definitely in the the minority. I got more nos than I got yeses. And I realized even once I started working with those smaller clients, they're great companies, but we were actually trying to solve problems that didn't exist yet. And so the, the theory was there, but the practice was not ready. Um, and so I realized that's I was doing the wrong thing. And so I dropped that service, dropped that kind of product line, if you will, and just refocused really heavily on onboarding and ended up doing nine different onboarding programs last year across Lots of different types of technology companies.
0: I mean, it sounds like you were very nimble about this because we're talking about this is all within the scope of 2017, right? You started Mm -hmm. out one Mm -hmm. way, you executed a campaign, you brought on clients, you realized that this wasn't really the best problem to solve for these clients. And then you pivot to onboarding. How did you remain so nimble and so agile? (laughs)
1: Um, I guess it's honestly, if you get a feeling like it's not working, if you're trying to sell something for more than two months and you're, you've been putting in the work, doing your meetings, uh, talking to people and it's not selling something's wrong and you, you know, you might not know why it's not working. Um, you know, it was sad for me, honestly, I really wanted this product to work. Um, it was called the people operations accelerator and I was so excited about it. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was like three months of programming. You would get everything from an employee handbook to um, your first manager development program. There were probably nine different things that you would get, quote unquote. And I think it was like twelve or thirteen thousand a month for three months. And so that's a big ask. It's a pretty heavy lift of a small company. And so that was problem number one. I just didn't realize how big of a lift that was for those budgets. Um, For my larger clients, that's not a problem at all. But um, for those 50-person companies, they just can't do it. And um, I I guess, you know, just realizing, okay, this is not selling. And the people that did buy it, um, they're not – we're running into other kind of logistical challenges. And so I actually ended up kind of doing a different – type of work with them. We, we kind of sat down together and agreed, like, let's focus on something different other than what we're, what our scope of work says. Um, again, because it matters to me, not that, you know, the contract goes the way it's supposed to go, but the contract actually produces something useful and valuable. So I, the other, I guess, personal role is just don't get too personally invested in these things. Um, they're just things, they're just ideas. Um, So I've always kind of thought if if it's not working, it's probably the way that I packaged it up. It's probably, you know, it it doesn't sound good to somebody. It doesn't make sense. So I just need to change that. That's the process of learning, too. So I guess it's um, a little inherent to the work that I do anyway, that I I just treat these things as learning experiences rather than personal, you know, affronts if they don't work.
0: Well, I think that's a great attitude to have because I think what most people would have done in your shoes is they would have gone out. They would have tried their best, given it their best effort. And then when it didn't quite work out, they would have attributed the, you know, quote unquote failure. I'm calling it a, a failure. unquote, mm-hmm. it's not really I failure, but, failure. But they would attribute that to themselves and then maybe go back and, and find a job somewhere else again because they figured they don't have what it takes.
1: I guess. But I'm also really stubborn. <laughs> I mean, I just did not want to work anywhere else. I mean, when I left my, you know, that, that other job to start Edify, at, you know, to actually go full time at edify, I thought I'll just work as a waitress if I can't make this work. (laughs)
0: That's funny. And I'm a
1: terrible waitress. So
0: (laughs) it's funny. You're reminding me of of my interview with David Baker. Again, one of the things David said in the interview was we were talking about, about really staying true to your expertise and having integrity and not selling yourself short. And one of the things that he said is I'd rather you go and drive an Uber then sell your expertise short, like just like go and do something else. If you got to pay the bills, that's fine. But don't don't go and undercut your pricing or do work that you really shouldn't be doing because that's that's, you know, you need to have integrity, right? Yeah. So, okay, so tell me, how do you now go from that work that you discovered wasn't quite working out with the smaller companies? How do you then make that pivot to onboarding for, I presume, larger companies?
1: Yeah, so. I call business development kind of a magical thinking experience. Um, And I don't know, I mean, this is your whole business is getting, you know, getting more business. But um, for me, what ended up happening is I just, you know, I have these conversations, I am actually an introvert, but I do probably three or four um, kind of networking events a week and three or four business development meetings a week. And that that could be, you know, rekindling old relationships, it could be um, you know, reaching out cold to somebody and just saying, "Hey, you know, you and I both know the same person. Let's grab coffee." Um, and you know, I'm I'm working in the you know California or again Washington space, so people really do know each other, and so it's easy for me to do that. Um, but I just was I remember kind of sitting um, probably March or April um, with an HR director at a different company and kind of saying, I, I really want to go back to focusing on onboarding. I had such a good experience doing that at this other company. Um, I wonder if I could kind of just sell that, you know, this learning and development strategy idea wasn't quite there yet. I hadn't really baked that. Um, but I was just thinking about onboarding as kind of the bulk of Edify's work. And she said, Well, why don't you and so she kind of introduced me to somebody. um, And he introduced me to somebody. And we sat down and um, within an hour, he said, You know, yes, I think we should do this. So he was the CEO of a company, um, or the former CEO. um, And then that kind of parlayed through the network through the kind of business development, magical thinking into a contract. Um, And then that kind of I find that that begets another one and that begets another one. And that's just what happened. You know, it. Um, I found myself in the summer, early fall with way too much work to handle. Um, and so it was kind of this interesting experience. of like, I have six clients and eight active projects and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm really struggling to keep my head above water. And, Deliver great things, but I mean, this is awesome that my business is doing so awesome. So it it really forced me to figure out, okay, this is obviously something the market needs or wants. Um, I just need to figure out the mechanisms for delivering it.
0: And, and so, how did you do that?
1: Well, I hired an amazing project manager who literally uh, makes me, you know, want to get up in the morning and face my work. (laughs) She's awesome. Um, she's not a a full-time employee. She's a, you know, she works about 15 hours a week as a contractor, but, um, she has been absolutely instrumental. I did have an admin assistant for a while and I really struggled to, um, work to, to really leverage her properly. I didn't really, I, it's not that I have trouble delegating, but I just didn't know what to give her. Um, and so it was scheduling and then I started using a scheduling tool. So last year was a process of figuring out what am I actually hiring contractors for and what do I need to ask for help with um, and how do I you know, actually scope out a job and say, I'm going to carve off all these things from my daily to-do list and give them to you and empower you to do that. And I am pretty far from a micromanager. So I'm like, here's the keys to the car. Come back in eight hours. I hope that you have a grocery bag full of groceries. So, um, that's kind of my management style. And so I just said, you know, I need to work with people who get that rather than me changing, um, that style to, to somebody else. So I found a project manager who could do that.
0: Now, I'm curious, what's the distinction in your in your mind between the admin assistant and the project manager?
1: So the admin was doing a lot of answering emails that I didn't feel like I needed to answer. Uh, she was doing a lot of scheduling, although not scheduling with clients, um, scheduling with people who wanted to meet with me, which is actually kind of a personal challenge last year. I have been helped by so many people um, who, you know, didn't know me (laughs) and I reached out to them and they said, yeah, let's go have coffee. Um, and it's funny, karma is kind of coming back now and people are asking me and, um, I found myself last year in this place where I really could not take all of those meetings. And it would be like three to six a week. And so that admin assistant was helping me kind of spread those out a little bit and say no to some of them and say yes to the other ones that made more sense. Um, so she was doing that. She would um, prepare client welcome kits. So I have gifts uh, that kind of welcome a client onto our project. So in the little physical kit box, there's various things that they're going to need throughout their um, project. Um, so she would put those together. She would do, um, you know, end of engagement presents for clients. All of those kind of little pieces of the service delivery that, that are more administrative. But my project manager really is um, client facing. So she interacts with clients to set up the kickoff. She schedules everything. Uh, she makes sure that the project is going on on target. She coordinates with other contractors. Um, gosh, she probably does a m- bunch of other stuff that I don't know about. But she basically makes sure that the project is continuing the way it's supposed to. And she reminds me like, Hey, I know you're balancing three different things right now, but you have to do this one piece of it.
0: So let's fast forward a bit now to today, Kristen. Uh, I know Edify is, is humming along. Things are going better than ever. You've got a really clear niche focus, which we talked about in the earlier part of the episode. Mm-hmm. What does your marketing look like today? What are you doing to attract new clients?
1: I'm, kind of internally laughing and screaming at the same time, because actually a couple of weeks ago, I decided that I was, I was just not going to put the pressure of blogging on myself or any, you know, I wasn't going to focus on Twitter or blogs or my medium or any of these things. I was just going to, um, sort of do what felt right in the moment. And so that's, that's a terrible strategy, but it seems to be working. (laughs) So I wouldn't give other people that advice, but, basically what I do to attract clients is I comb through my network that's sometimes on LinkedIn, sometimes it's on my, um, my emails, my email list. Um, and I look at what's going on with these companies. So I'm also constantly staying up to date with what companies are getting funded, who's hiring a lot, um, acquisitions. So I'm always reading, you know, TechCrunch and GeekWire and all of these things, you know, the, the business journals, all of those things, so that I'm aware of what movement is happening in the industry. And if I can find a connection, like, let's say, you know, company A just closed a round of a million dollars, and they're also hiring 20 people, but there are 50 employees right now. Well, hiring 20 people is really hard. And so supporting them with some onboarding is actually a very natural fit um and so i go and look to see if i know anybody there and i do that kind of homework sleuthing process and i try really hard to either get a warm intro or meet them in person um and and that's you know that's kind of it that's how it works for me um on a very very rare occasion do i get a client through you know somebody who um read a blog or listen to my podcast or listen to an interview I've done that almost never happens. Um, the other big thing is referrals. So most of my business right now is word of mouth from former clients. Um, that client I was or potential client I was meeting with yesterday. That's exactly what happened, you know? And it's funny because I didn't even think, you know, that, that project actually, if you think back way to beginning of 2017, that was one of those people operations accelerator things that I didn't think, you know, was a really good idea after doing it with this client. But it turns out that person really liked working with me um, and he recommended me to somebody else. So that's kind of how it works.
0: Yeah, that's pretty typical, right? Even if you don't think the engagement went all that well, um, often the client doesn't agree. (laughs) Right. <laughs> and I think, think it actually did yeah. go pretty well because because, you know, I mean, they don't know what what, what you know. Right. You know, right. the process inside out, you know, the outcomes that you were trying to achieve and you probably had pretty high standards, but they were yeah. probably satisfied with what happened.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I thought that, you know, I was like, wow, we didn't really get to any of this stuff. And what ended up happening is, you know, several full day workshops where they really fleshed out you know, their vision, their mission, their HR process, um, which I don't even do a lot of HR work, but, um, you know, and I, I thought, gosh, this wasn't really that fulfilling. I wonder if they feel the same way and I guess, you know, they felt good about it. So, so I'm really glad.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in terms of your BD process, I, I think it's perfect, right? Cause this, this to me is, this is the benefit of having a really, really clear niche, You know who you serve, it's tech companies. You know what problem you solve, it's learning and development and onboarding. And so you know that when somebody gets funding, they're gonna hire. (laughs) And when they're gonna hire, they're gonna have an onboarding and a learning and development problem and that's a problem you solve. So it's a perfect opportunity to just kind of get in there, use that trigger event to spark a conversation. Uh, I think that's perfect. I think your content probably, I'm not surprised you're not getting clients directly from your content. But it probably acts as a bit of a credibility shield, so that when you yeah, walk into so. a meeting, they've they've looked you up and they've kind of heard a little bit about you and, and and your perspective.
1: Yeah, I think the challenge for me with content is figuring out what cadence to publish. I actually get really good reactions from folks when I do publish things, especially on Medium. Um, but you know, I'm still, and I'm not you know not ashamed to say, I'm still in the phase of my business where I am delivering most of the work. And, you know, I guess I have contractors who help deliver parts of things. I have a project manager who you know, basically runs the whole project. But uh, I, at the end of the day, I still need several hours a day to actually do work. And um, that means that I don't have time to write really brilliant well thought out medium posts so it's it's hard to figure out what the balance is there but every now and then i get like you know you get this inspiration and it's like okay well i'm gonna just hammer this one out
0: and so on on that note what's your what's your plan for the future in terms of do you want to remain kind of the 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 customer facing consultant do you want to replace yourself how are you positioning this
1: yeah it's a really good question i think that i'm currently in an existential crisis about it. Um, but I'm just sort of letting that existential crisis, like be on the back burner. Um, as that's the best way I can say it, that I actually, I don't know, I don't want to be a single consultant anymore. I do definitely want to build a, a company that has a couple of people in it, but I also don't see myself, uh, you know, running a company of more than five or 10 people. So, um, that's kind of a challenge to figure out how are you going to bring in enough work to fund that um you know my company is certainly not the kind of company that gets venture capital nor would i want it but um th- so you know there's there's some thresholds that you have to reach financially to be able to hire um and then to actually make sure that that person is producing is a little challenging in my line of work because so much of what i do is almost like intellectual property. It's, it's, you know, it's the way that I think about things. So I have to work on systematizing and um, putting down the way that I think about these things and way that I run projects on paper so that I can teach other people. So that's actually a big goal of 2018 is to actually put this stuff down on paper and probably transition my part, my project manager to a full-time employee and, Uh, have her doing some of that work, um, and then find somebody to replace the project that, you know, the project management work. So I think that I'm just going to take it step by step and I, I want to grow it, but it's, it's a big proposition and it's a little scary to be honest.
0: It's a little scary, but, um, that's, that's the way Things usually go right. Yeah, (laughs) you're you're right. You're right in the thick of things, and um, it sounds like things are going really, really well. And I'm I'm certainly excited to see how they go in the future for you. Let me leave you with one final question, Kristen. Mm -hmm. Over the years now of of running Edify, the two or three some odd years, what would you say is has been the the biggest lesson that you've learned in the process?
1: Mm, Gosh, it's hard. I feel like there's so many uh, big lessons. Um, I think it goes back to um, not taking things personally. You always, always, always have to have the end customer in the back of your mind. Um, and know that this is, this is the person that you're working for. Um, so that's, there have been times where I kind of was like, Oh no, I'm working for the HR director or I'm working for the VP of engineering, but that's not true. I'm working for that engineer who sits at their desk, trying to figure out how to move from, being a level one engineer to a level two engineer, or I'm working for that person who uh, just got onboarded at the new company and they're really feeling a lot of anxiety and they're struggling to get connected to this new culture and to their job. That's who I'm working for. And I think every time I lose sight of that, thankfully, not very much anymore, but in the past when I've lost sight of that, it has caused the programming to look good On the outside, but I think not really be good. So I would say that's my biggest lesson. And I think it permeates the whole business, the whole service design, the whole, you know, pricing, how you talk to clients, how you get clients. Um, it, It covers everything.
0: Yeah, I love that, but it's so hard. <laughs> to do it is that. really hard because and I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can tell. I can tell you're the kind of person that gets very invested in your work. I sense that that's probably yeah. a big part of why you're so good at what you do. Is you get very invested, and and emotions come with that, and it's just it's hard to just kind of when things don't work out. It's hard to step back and not get burned.
1: Oh yeah, I have a client right now where we're on our fifth project together, and. One of the very first projects we did was their corporate onboarding. And, um, it's been really frustrating for me because we built a beautiful program. I mean, one of the, pro- I'm, I'm so proud of it and people who in the company who are kind of in, involved with it love it, but there's a particular, um, person in that HR team that is basically kind of unable to launch it because of some silly administrative things. And it's, I, you know, I found myself taking it personally and being like, why isn't this getting launched? I wish I could do something. And I ended up kind of giving a little bit of free consulting to try to get it launched after the project finished. And I had to step back and realize like, I'm giving away stuff that they, you know, she should have done on her own. That's, that wasn't my scope. Um, and I can't ultimately, be, you know, hand holding them through everything uh, you know, they have to take responsibility for their work, you know, the, the end product too. So um, there, there's a definitely a double edged element of it.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, Kristen, this has been an excellent conversation. I'm so glad that you came on and shared your story with us. Let people know uh, where they can find you online.
1: Yeah, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn, but check out edifyedu.com. Uh, that's the best place to find out what I'm working on.
0: Great, and we'll, we'll drop links to both of those in the show notes. Kristen, thanks so much.
1: Thank you, have a good one.
0: Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step by step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5LeadGen.com. And you can spell out 5 or use the number, either one works. That's 5LeadGen.com. Thanks for listening.